0: Hey, Husky fans, welcome back to 4th and Inches of Husky podcast. My name is Trevor Mueller. With me, as always, is Jake Grant and Coach V, and we have a really special guest with us. You guys know him as number five on the field. Younger kids know him as the one of the voices of the Husky honks. He's number 80 as a freshman. He's number five. He's number one in all of our hearts. And that's Mario Bailey. Mario, thanks for coming on.
1: Appreciate you. Thanks for having me
0: anybody who listens to this podcast, I assume has listened to you at least a little bit on the honks on KJR. Uh, so I'm not going to kind of belabor a lot of the things that you guys have already talked about. I loved a, a lot of what you've said over the last two years about calling out some of the issues that you've seen on the defensive side of the ball, calling out some of the coaching that you've been seeing. Uh, <laughs> what has changed that has made this defense uh, flip the flip the switch? Is Is it Coaching fundamentals, or or is it just coming together?
1: Uh, it's coming together. Being in the system for more than one year always helps when you have new coaches, new system, new players, because we have this portal now. So all of that together hurts the defense of just coming together for the first year. So this year, guys have been together. Guys stayed for another year. They've been in the system for a second year. They've played with each other. They know each other's strengths. And they're playing a lot more together. I think we start off, we struggle early, but we're finishing games. And that's the most important thing. When I played, Coach James used to, uh, at the fourth quarter, we'd all raise our hands with our, our four up to let it be known that this is the fourth quarter, this is our quarter. Well, our defense is doing a wonderful job at the end of the game. And that's been great.
2: It helps having a guy like Carson Bruno run that run that linebacker position, doesn't it?
1: Carson Bruner, I've been talking about for the last two years, like I'm big on playmakers and I think he is a bona fide playmaker. I thought he was last year. He was even a playmaker the year before with coach Lake. Um, he hasn't been starting this entire season, but you've seen him start against the Oregon state come out there with 14 tackles, a cause fumble. He's everywhere. And if you look there throughout the season, on kickoffs, he's always making the big hit. He's what I call a playmaker. So he's somebody that should be out on the field all at all times.
3: 100% agree with that. Even a couple of years ago when he was, uh, I think he was a freshman, he had that almost pick six against Oregon yep. in uh, in the, that home game and just took off and and just barely got caught. And unfortunately, we didn't have an offense back then, so we didn't punch it in, but... <laughs> Carson, uh, every time I watch that kid, I'm thinking, God, you need to be on the field more, man. I don't want you to leave.
1: I just want you to stay on the field as much as possible. That's it. That's exactly right. A few years ago, he should have scored a touchdown. I'm sure he's still mad about that. But just a bona fide playmaker, every single time he's on the field, he's going to make a play. And that's what you want. It doesn't matter if you're on offense or defense. It's all about making plays. So you want your playmakers out there as much as possible.
0: Who else on that defense do you target as who's a playmaker?
1: Jabbar Muhammad, like uh, for the DBs, like we needed somebody like him. Like he's been good all year. He's been stable all year. He's had a couple fantastic games and I love him. I I think Braylon Trice has come on. I think being a preseason All-American some guys don't live up to the hype and the pressure, but he's coming on very strong the last four or five games. He's getting pressure. If he's not getting the sack, he's pressuring these quarterbacks, and that's great. There's just some guys coming on, but if the first name come out of my head would be Jabbar Muhammad. And to go
0: along with that, and I know we're talking about 91 versus 2023, but did you have matchups where – other teams over the course of your college career would have a a cornerback follow you?
1: I had a few times that a a couple cornerbacks followed me and I don't know why that, that, that didn't happen. I mean, I was getting doubled. I got doubled a lot Mm -hmm. where the safety would roll to my side, but um, I think some defenses don't like to do that. I think the only guy I remember vividly that, was up for the challenge like that was Felipe Sparks at Arizona State, and he had Darren Woodson behind him. So huh. those two together were dangerous, and he'd follow me, and he'd talk bad to me the entire time. So that's one I won't forget because I admired that. I admired his feistiness and how he talked trash to me. Now, do you think
0: that uh, Jabbar Muhammad, him following around uh, uh, on number 11 with Oregon?
1: I don't see our defense doing that. And I feel like some cornerbacks have like a weakness as far as like which side they're on. Um, Like I'm weak to my left side. So I don't know if that's it or how our defense is structured, but I haven't seen our D do that. Follow some guy to the other side. And also Oregon has another guy. I can't think of his name right now. Number 15. 15. Yep. He has like nine touchdowns and he's about 900 yards. He's close to a thousand yards. So they have a nice offense, especially with their running back and their quarterback able to run. I don't see us uh, putting somebody just on Troy Franklin like that.
2: Yeah, and kind of – it's going to be so important for both of these corners. Um, Elijah Jackson's gotten a lot of heat over the season, but he does have the ability to tackle. And against – when you're playing Oregon for a second time, tackling, to me, is going to be imperative to – our chances of winning this game, especially from the secondary, Jabbar and Elijah?
1: Yes, they, uh, I I feel like our defense has struggled with tackling and penalties, but they are definitely going to have to wrap up and tackle. Elijah Jackson, love the young man. I think he gives great effort. He struggled this year and he has to know that they're coming for him. Troy Franklin, uh, number 15, they're going to come to him. Um, It's just like this past game against Washington State right before the half. I knew that I seen the lineup of our defense and it was man and I knew they were going right to him. So I hope he's up for the challenge. I hope we put somebody over the top, a safety over the top to give him some help. But they're coming for him.
0: The receivers and the quarterback position outside of Roma Dunze right now seem to be struggling, whether that was some bad weather games that they went through. But, you know, the Apple Cup where Mike wasn't necessarily as sharp as we've seen him. Uh, we've had Jalen Polk drop, I think, five straight balls. Jalen McMillan dropped a few in Oregon State. He was open on that that almost interception right at the end of the game that Mike underthrew. Coaches talked a lot about how they just seem like they're off rhythm a little bit. Looking at your at least the 91 season, that didn't seem to be a problem for your offense. But there was, was there ever a time with you and Billy Joe or, or one of the other quarterbacks that you worked with where you guys were off rhythm and how did you guys get back on?
1: No, well, at least that season, we were never off rhythm in 91. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, I take that back. There was a game that we were off rhythm, rhythm, and I don't want to throw him under the bus, but it felt like it was Billy. Like Billy was overexcited and hyped up for the game at Cal and, and SC. And if you ever look at the film, he's overthrown, he's underthrown. He just was not on target, but that wasn't the case every game especially once Mark started coming back from injury I think Billy knew that if he did too much that they were going to put Mark in even if he was hobbled so there was just a few games he was off but as far as us being off rhythm no that never happened
0: so like how did you get back after a game like that was it just that Billy would calm down and you guys would be good to go or Yeah is it felt something like doing practice I'm I'm thinking of Mike and the rest of his receiving core
1: No that was Nothing you can do in practice, but just go over the basics. It's all about the basics. It's just um, going out with no defense out there, just getting the timing right and and making sure that you and the quarterback are on the same page. But I I know that these guys go over it time and time again. Like their offense last year, it never seemed out of sync last year. So I feel like this year there's a few things injury injury to Jalen McMillan has caused a lot because J- Jalen controls the middle of the field he gets Jalen Polk and Rome open because he's controlling the middle of the field and people have to be aware of him once he's been hurt I haven't felt like our offense has been in sync ever since we do have Westover and Cope and Jeremy Bernard and Miles that come in there and they but they haven't been able to fill McMillan's shoes so now if you see our offense it's a lot of outside throws to Rome and Jalen because that's what they are. They're the outside receivers. And it was Jalen McMillan controlling the middle. And without him, it's been a struggle. Even with him trying to come back, he hasn't been the same. He hasn't had his quickness. He's not getting open. He's not coming out of his cuts right away. If you look at this last game, it's the first game he's caught a pass since Michigan State. He caught five for like 26 yards. That's not the Jalen McMillan that we, we've we seen and it's crazy to me because it used to be two or three guys open at all times. Um, but now it's a struggle. And if you look at our past, like Rome's had like close to 30 targets in the last two weeks. That's ridiculous to have one guy have 28 to 30 targets that we've thrown him in two weeks. Of course, he's going to have seven catches out of a uh, each game out of all that them targets, but we shouldn't need to throw him the ball that much. We should be spreading it out. Jalen Polk has to catch the ball. There's no five or six drops in two games and no catches in two games. It's almost impossible because Coach Grubb is such a wonderful offensive coordinator, but you can't keep throwing to a guy if he's not going to catch it.
2: I've had this lingering kind of suspicion of my own, kind of a theory that, We, knowing that we were, we had already clinched a spot into the conference championship and knowing 99% chance it was going to be Oregon playing in there, that the week prior and the week through the Apple Cup, we kind of looked, the players didn't, but the coaching staff was maybe game prepping for Oregon. Do you think that there was any, there's any notion to that or that they held maybe even they just held out Jalen McMillan a little bit more than they would have, knowing that we had Oregon coming up the next week?
1: Well, I would say that, but he, he's been trying. He played against Oregon State, and he played a lot last week, and he finally caught the ball last week. But I will say this. I believe Coach Grubb is holding his play calling and his plays. He has something special for Oregon. It's just like last week against Washington State, Uh, fourth and one on our own 29 like he must have had that call for two years saved up because you don't you don't have the balls or the the guts to call that on because that's that's the season he really had a call for the season so I believe he has a special stuff for Oregon because he is such a great offensive uh, coordinator
3: and One of my points uh, in in recent weeks was a lot of the things that we saw last year that made this offense so undefendable, indefendable, and the way that it's kind of progressed this year that they've sort of taken a lot of their key concepts and put them like away. Like we're not seeing the multiplicity of the offense. We're not seeing the mesh. We're not seeing wide delay. We're not seeing the middle of the field stuff. It's It's predominantly outside the hashes. And it's super concerning to me because that's the most low percentage. I I know you've got two really ridiculous outside receivers that make fantastic catches, but if your timing is just a little bit off, it looks like, what are you doing? And I feel like if we're going to get back to that, this is the week. Like we absolutely have all of our pieces. Giles gets to play now because he's, you know, he's got his uh, red shirt taken care of. Um, If we don't utilize every blade of grass out there, it's completely on us. Like, we did this to ourselves.
1: You're absolutely right. And that's why I say Jalen McMillan is a key component and Giles Jackson to put him in the slot as well. Like, we need some people in the slot. Westover and Cope are both great, but that's not the same as Jalen McMillan. And it is what it is. Rome, if you look at, uh, if he has 13 touchdowns, I would say nine of them are the back shoulder fade. It's the same exact touchdown. It's not anything different. It's it's nine of those back shoulder fades. And we're throwing outside because, guys, it's harder to get open in the middle than it is on the outside when you're just throwing it up one-on-one. So we need somebody that's going to dominate the middle and get those guys off so they can't double and do different things and I think there's a big correlation with Jalen being hurt this entire time with our offense not being on all cylinders as it was last year in the beginning of this season. He looked
0: a little bit more bouncy yesterday or uh, at the in the Apple Cup. Mm-hmm. From the untrained eye, it looks like he's getting more healthy, but you're the receiver. Can you give an insight into where you think he's at when it comes to being 100%?
1: I think he's more healthy. I think it's a confidence thing. Whatever his injury is, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm sure it's his knee. Yeah. And now it's confidence. Now that he knows that he can't do any more structural damage or whatever, once he got his uh second opinion, now that he know he, he can't do anything, it's a confidence thing. It's a confidence because you have to want to know, you have to know your knee's going to be okay when you're cutting and you're doing all these things. Um, I think he's just not confident. He's gaining confidence, but five catches for 25 yards, that's just not Jalen. And I just see him coming out of breaks a little slower. He's hesitant. And he has a big old knee brace on his knee, So it's just not the same. Like, he's giving it his effort. He wants to be there. But I just don't think he's 100%. But we'll take 80% right now because it's, it's go time. We don't have any time to waste it's unfortunate that they got a full week and these guys have a short week because we need to heal up. But like I said, there's no time to waste, no excuses. It is what it is. Here we go.
2: I'd be remorsed if I didn't mention uh, Bucky Irving. Um, He's been the most consistent Oregon offensive player all year. Um, What's the key to stopping him?
1: There is no key to stopping him. Uh, We have to fly around like, all guys have to come like we were doing a great job of that where it's not just one guy it's everybody running to the ball. And that's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to pursue him. but then we have to worry about Troy Franklin. um, The other receivers getting open. Bucky Irvin is kind of the one that, that stirs the drink. He's the one that we have to initially key on, but they like to, once they get him going and they go to play action and they also have Bo who can run, but we have to stop him. There is no real key to stop him. The key is just to tackling and getting him down and not letting him do. I can't think of what Oregon State's running back the name was, but he did a great job. of. Martinez. The, yeah, Martinez. Martinez was great, and he never let the first man tackle him. And Bucky's very similar to that. We have to get him down early. What do you see in Oregon's
0: defensive backfield?
1: I honestly think they're average. And I think they they I think they're scared of us from the last two seasons. We've kind of dominated them. Our receivers have gotten after them. Jalen Polk, Jalen McMillan, and Rome. Like we've gotten after these guys. Taz Davis, who who left us, like they know that we're coming to get them. So um I've watched them on other games. I saw them early in the season. Uh, I think it was uh something state uh maybe texas tech somebody but they're not that great i i, I don't have uh like uh like there's a few teams that i feel like like arizona their dbs were great they were big they were physical i don't see that with oregon i see us being able to do what we want to do and jaleel florence it, it appears to be out as well mm-hmm. so yeah and I know Coach Grubb, he's going to go at whoever's new, whoever's fresh. <laughs> we're, we're coming at you. And and Oregon knows that. They know that we're going to come. Uh, Oregon better be smart as as far as what they do defensively. They can't play us man up like they, they tried to do. It cost them uh, big time in the last game at the end of the game. What do you see with the Oregon offense? I see the Oregon offense as being explosive. I I, uh, I used to talk bad about Bo Nix. I used to say he <laughs> would always, I probably should keep continue to talk bad about him. I always say he always chokes in the clutch and, and I watched him at Auburn. I watched him uh, at Oregon to start off last season. So I'm going I'm to continue to say it. Bo N- Nix messes up in the clutch, but They are explosive offense. I think Troy Franklin could should easily be in the the bulletin-the-cloth race. He's a great receiver. Bucky Irvin is great. Their offensive line is great. Like they have a very explosive offense. They can run. Their quarterback can run and pass. Their receivers, they catch and go. Like if you look at Bo's throwing, like some of those are short passes, and these guys are taking it to the house with the yak. They're doing a wonderful job. There's not much that they can't do. I like their offense, to be honest with you.
2: I have a a question about the college football playoff. Um, I think, I think it's trying to find a good way to put this. I think it's kind of garbage that Washington is in a must-win situation against the team that they beat earlier this year with a better uh, strength of record. do do you think that they're that washington's justifiably pissed off that they're in this position
1: one of the most bogus things ever but it's no different than how they've always treated washington no way we should be 12 and 0 and know that we're pretty much out if we lose to a yeah. team that we already beat i understand the conference championship i understand how it works but It just feels like if you're not Georgia or Alabama or Ohio State, Michigan, if you're not one of these teams that's there consistently every year, then they're trying to figure out a way to get you out. Like Washington, there's no way with our strength of schedule and who we've played. I know we've struggled to win, but the bottom line is we have won and our schedule has a lot of top 20 teams on it. And the Pac-12 was a great conference this year. But it is what it is. I keep trying to have hope that if we were to lose, that we could get in. But I know better. They're not, you know. The I, the I gotta tell you, Mario.
0: You look at the resume of Washington, because the way that I could see it playing out is of uh, somehow, you know, if Oregon beats Washington and Florida State loses and Georgia wins, it's a conversation of Texas, Washington, and. Um, and Ohio State, and and you put Washington's resume up against those. They the only thing that or Ohio State has is the logo.
1: That's it. That's it. And it should be just like Georgia. If Georgia were to lose to Alabama, they would still be in, yeah. and that's how it should be for Washington. Because if we lost, we lost to Oregon. They're like number five, so it's not like you know, like Georgia, if they lost to Alabama, they would be in our strength. of schedule is better than Georgia's. Uh, It's just the SEC. It's just Ohio state's logo. As you said, it's just straight BS and everybody knows it.
0: It's the two teams with the longest winning streaks.
1: Exactly. How how can you talk about 19, like 19 in a row? That's crazy. 19 in a row. You can't take that away.
0: I want to finish up talking about the mindset that you guys had because the mindset beto- the difference in the mindset between the 91 season and the 2023 season is very different 2023 season there's been a lot of people the entire time who have been since the Oregon game uh have said that you know Washington is fraudulent they we're just waiting for them to lose we're waiting for Oregon to come and beat them that wasn't the case with you guys you guys started number four you continued to move up from 4 all the way to 1 you know whatever 1 or half or whatever you want to call it at the end of the season <laughs> um you guys hardly were were hardly in any of those games what was the mindset as you're going through winning the next game and the next game and the next game and frankly it was 2 years in a row where you lost one game so how how what is that mindset like where you know you're going to get everybody's best shot and you guys obviously executed at such a high level, but continuing to get up, knowing that you were going to get everybody's best shot.
1: I think we lost the year before; we cost ourselves the UCLA game. Yeah, lost the national title, and from that point on, it was like we were never going to lose again. Uh, we went on a—I don't know—I was there for fourteen in a row. I don't know how many they ended up in a row, but. When you lose a national title from a game that you know you were supposed to beat up on somebody the next year, it's you're on a mission. And there's never going to be a week where you're like looking, overlooking a opponent. You're not down. You're not playing loose. Like we, we were on a mission. It's just flat out mission because you know, it's 30 years ago, but I still remember like we should have had back-to-back national championships And so we let that slip away. So he didn't have to say anything. We all said before the season, if we could go down to Nebraska and we can win Nebraska, then we're going to win this thing. We're going to win it all. And that's all it was. Once we got out of Nebraska, I don't ever think we ever even thought that anybody could really compete with us. Like I said, the Cal game was close, but if you look at Billy's statistics They weren't great. The SC game was semi-close, but our defense just dominated. But those two games, our quarterback was off, but our defense was never off. So we never really had a a close game besides that Cal game, but it was because of what happened the year before. And, And you could see it in the summer. When I was there in the summer, all the guys from L.A., Hawaii, everybody, they would go home. That summer, nobody went home. We were just ready. It was like, as soon as that season was over, we were like, let's go. So it was totally player driven. Player coaches, too. I feel like the coaches yeah. felt like they, they let us down, too. What's funny about our team is it was so competitive that our offensive coordinator and our defensive coordinator were going at it. Like, the end yes. of practice when we had 11 <laughs> on 11, these two were going at it. Like, they were like, okay, you got this defense, but I got this offense. So 11 on 11 was so intense that once the game came, that was easy. Yeah. It was, it was nothing. I knew if I could score on Dana and Walt and Tommy and Shane and talk mess to them, yeah. that nobody else could touch me.
3: I had a really interesting question for you. Um, Having played for Don James, an absolute coaching legend. If he were to look at college football in 2023 with the transfer (laughs) portal with nil with all of this extra stuff a playoff a conference championship game which is basically just for dollars what do you think he would think of all this
1: the funny thing about coach that people might not realize is he was adapting you know um He was the coach who coached from a tower, which is absolutely crazy when you think of it right now. But if you look at it, like my freshman year, we didn't go to a bowl game. And he said that he fired a coach for the first time. It was our offensive line coach. He went down to the University of Miami and he came back and he said, we have maybe one guy at the most, two guys that would be able to start for their team. He's like, we have to do something. We have to get bigger, and we have to get faster. He started recruiting some dogs. He went and got Coach Gilbertson. He changed our offense. We had the two-back offense. The only time the third receiver would come is on third down. Um, He changed our entire offense. We changed our entire defense. If you look at my senior year, we always had to wear our socks up. We always had to be professional. You couldn't have earrings. You couldn't have a goatee. But by the end of it, you see us, people still talk about it. Guys have their jerseys tied up. We got black shoes. We got spats. The socks are down. We're dancing. We're hot. He was adapting. So I feel like he would have understood where football was going way before a lot of people. And people might not realize it, but he would adapt. If you look at Coach Saban, that's Don James. And Coach Saban uh, is adapting and he's under Coach James. Uh, we would have had a dominant um, run like Alabama had the Pac-10 not put us on probation. That's what Coach James was about to do at Washington.
2: Projecting projecting into the future, how do you think uh, Coach Devore's career at Washington lines up versus Coach James?
1: I think it lines up very well. I tell people all the time, there's something about being a winner. And people were worried, like, Coach DeBoer hadn't coached. I'm like, if if he's won everywhere he's been, he has a formula. It doesn't matter what division. Like, people are born winners. Coach is a born winner. The only sad part about this story is you can't always win 19 in a row. You can't <laughs> always go 12 and 0. You know, now people are going to be like, man, what's wrong? They went 10 and 2. Well, look, last time we've only had one team that's went undefeated. So you're going to have to be happy with it. But I see him having a very long tenure. If he wants to stay here in Washington, we're going to have to pay him a lot of money. But he's already proven he's worth it. But he will be comparable to Coach James when it's all said and done, if he happens to stay here.
0: Mario, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, As we finish up, how does Washington win on Friday?
1: We're going to have to get some turnovers. We're gonna have we're gonna have to win that turnover battle. We're gonna have to stop their offense. And we're and we're gonna have to be the offense that we've that we started off the season being and what we were last year. Our offense is gonna have to come to play because their offense is gonna score some points.
0: Well, thank you, Mario. For Trevor Mueller, Jake Grant, Coach V, go Dogs.
1: Go Dogs. Appreciate go you, Dawgs. fellas.
0: All right. So that was some really good stuff from Mario Bailey. I'm now joined by coach V and UW Leah. I still have a lot to say about this game. I'm thinking more about it. It's just the pac 12 continues even in its dying breath to screw things up for itself and the people with the programs within the conference. Cause the reality is if Washington was playing Oregon and don't make, or Washington was playing Arizona and don't, don't get me wrong. I'm very excited for this game and I I truly believe Washington has a very good shot of winning it. But if Washington were to play Arizona, there would be a very clear path for getting two Pac-12 teams into the Pac-12 uh into the college football playoff if things were to break right and they wouldn't have to break that hard. Because then you have the best one-loss team and uh and and a and a 13 and 0 team. Committee is already valued Oregon as the best number one, uh, the best one loss team in the country. So all that would have to happen is a Florida state loss and Washington or or, an Oregon and Washington would be representing the conference in the PAC 12 in the college football playoff. Do you disagree, Leah?
4: I am not sure that I agree with you. I'd like to, I mean, I I actually don't know if I'd like to agree with that, but I think that they would absolutely be arguing for Texas a little bit because Oregon's resume when you stack it up against Texas is probably not as strong as Texas, which I think is a little bit silly to say. But I think it's a little bit um, also silly that Oregon is categorized as the best one loss team in the country Mm -hmm. and Washington is categorized as the worst undefeated team or like (laughs) it was for a while. Florida State's now the worst undefeated team, but they were for a long time. That said, I think it's going to be a battle and I think it's going to be depending on a lot of different things. I don't think Oregon would be a shoe in if Texas wins their league, which they're yeah. likely to do because they're playing Oklahoma state.
0: Right. And, and I think, I mean, it would have to break, right. But there's almost no path other than pure pandemonium for both Washington and Oregon to get in. And the only way that would happen is with a Washington loss.
4: So do you think both of you, do you think if Washington loses and Texas wins that Washington and Oregon both get into the playoff over Texas? What no. do you think? Chris?
3: Not even close. Um, They've been trying to ditch us for a while. So they didn't want to let us into the party. So I think it's funny that, you know, the whole let's dissolve the divisions thing last year costs the trip to the championship game last year. And then it's brought us to, hey, we beat Oregon, but well, they're back because nobody else in the conference was close to these two teams. I mean, fine. I don't I don't really care. I wanted Oregon the whole time, but I feel that, you know, just another short sighted move by the conference and kind of proves why it's uh, leaving us now and we're we're going somewhere else. But I think that the chaos aspect sounds really appealing until you realize that we would have to be part of that chaos as well. And I don't want to be part of that. I'd like to keep it nice and tidy I like there to be three undefeated teams at least in this, and then we'll just see who's the best.
4: Yeah, I also like being able to say, if we take care of our business, that we just get to watch everything unfold as it may on Saturday.
3: And I do not mind silencing the Oregon people for at least five minutes because they have been awfully bold.
0: And you know what? Washington's the, and we're going to, let's just get into it now. Washington is the healthiest it's been since the beginning of the season is the first time that all six receivers will be available. Um they're continuing to get more healthy. Uh, I think it's nothing but good vibes in that situation. Who knows with some of the guys that we haven't seen in a while, whether that's Cam Fab or, you know, even Asa Turner, I don't know. He was in street clothes. But still this team is getting healthier and I, I think that just bodes well for them getting back on track because You know, Jalen has had two games now where he's been out on the field. He got some catches. Jalen Polk is not going to go catchless again. Uh, He's been too good all year. He's an NFL receiver. He's going to find ways to get the ball. Uh, And Michael Penix, it's not, I, I, I've come to the conclusion that uh, some of the balls that were missed uh, are, were, were somewhat catchable by a really elite group of receivers. I think he's going to get back to that. Uh, and the the inaccuracies, um, I, I don't know if they're, I, I just, I don't know. Thinking about what Mario Bailey said about, you know, uh, uh, Billy Joe just kind of overhyping himself in some of those games where they didn't blow teams out. I wonder if there's some of that, maybe a little bit of pressure to to finish the season off right. Um, they're playing with house money now. I just, I I have a feeling that he's going to have a really, really good game.
4: Mike yeah, or JP?
0: Both of them, but yeah, but think, Michael Penix.
4: I think you're right that there's no way that JP goes three straight games without a catch. He's too good of a receiver to do that. And I I like being the underdog. I think that every time that we have been the underdog under DeBoer, we have come out with a win.
0: Yeah.
4: It's when we're favored that we run into problems. We were favored at UCLA. We were favored at ASU last year, you know? We've been favored in almost every game this year. We were not favored at Oregon State. Played pretty well for most of a game. Um, So I think I I like it. I like being the dogs. And last year in Autzen, we were 14-point dogs. And look how that turned out. So, I mean, if you listen to the national media, the game's already over. Oregon's already in the, the college football playoff. They don't think that Washington has a snowball's chance in hell. And I love it. I hope the kids are reading those headlines. I hope they're listening to all these naysayers and all these doubters. They have been all season and all we've done is win. That's it. And we ain't done yet to quote Marcus Peters. Yeah. We're, yeah. We have a big game and we need to show up. And I think we
0: will. Coach, what can you tell me about Oregon uh, on the defensive side of the ball, offensive side of the ball?
3: Defensively, they're going to have to win this game up front. And what they did last game was try to show a lot of different looks, try to back off when they're showing heavy pressure, try to bring people from different angles. Uh, They got home a few times, but for the most part, you know, they're going to have to play a lot of games. They're going to have to do a lot of stunting with doorless and Birch and doorless, you know, God, that guy, how precious is that dude talking about? He wants to take Penix out of the game. Um, And like, he's
0: not as effective on the run. Like, okay. Yeah. Captain, obvious award or something like that. Also, water
3: is wet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm still thinking about that that um, time he at USC where he eluded the rush, spun out of it, ran all the way to the far sideline through a touchdown. But whatever, mm-hmm. put that in his bag if he needs it. But he just usually doesn't need it. Um, I feel like the back end for them is their weakness, and if we have time to throw, we are going to pick those dudes apart. Jaleel Florence might not be 100%, might not play. Um, there's, you know, Dante Manning thinks he's really good, and he's he's absolutely not. Uh-huh. Um, I got to say, I'm not impressed with their back end, and they're banged up as well. So if we have time to throw, I think we're going to have a nice night. It's all a matter of just kind of taking care of the ball and not, not making mistakes. DJ, if he's healthy, He'll give us a semblance of a running game. He'll give us good pass protection. I feel good about our offense this game.
4: Do you think we're going to get better protection for Mike than we did in Seattle coach?
3: Yeah, because I think that they've seen it on film. Now They, they experienced it and they know kind of, all right, this is what they have in their bag. I don't think they're going to see anything new. They might just have to make a couple adjustments here and there. I know that they like to protect with the back, um, in the pocket, and they've been doing having to do a lot more where people are bringing stuff from wide nine angles and late blitzes, where the running backs like like he and Nixon have to come out and catch them on the perimeter. I think they're getting better at that. I think the Oregon game was the first time they were like, "Oh man, this is a problem. We got to fix this." But in all in all honesty, I feel like we protect pretty well most of the time. So. I don't think there's going to be any secrets. I think they're just going to have to be prepared and read their keys. And when they bring pressure, we got to get rid of the ball faster. By going to the middle of the field? Anywhere. <laughs> Shorter. We're not, you know, no five-step drop and let's get it vertical. Like, we don't need to do that stuff. If they're bringing pressure from out wide, somebody is open down the hash marks. Slant. Hitch. Seam. I mean, somebody's open, just throw to the empty vacated zone and we're going to just keep the chains moving
0: on the defensive side of the ball. You know, Mario made some points about Troy Franklin and Tez Johnson. How would you go about a a kind of a run first? You know, we can call him the God of check downs, but you know, he has a little bit more in his bag than that. I mean, let's be honest. How do you go about stopping that offense?
3: Uh, Tackle Bucky tackle their running game you know their running backs uh, they're just so good at creating you know after contact after first contact and the same keys I had for the first game uh, I get them into third and long instead of third and two because when they have third and short they have too many options and for some reason you know we're just going to play off no matter what down it is what down a distance it is for me the key is changing up your coverages knowing when to kind of go into zone when they're not expecting it, showing man and then busting the zone. So when they want to run those little hitches and those little outs and that RPO triple option stuff into the flat that we have bodies around that we're not trying to one man trying to make a tackle in space. And if he doesn't make it, then it's 15 yards down the field or more. Like that's their game. That's their bread and butter. They want to turn a short catch into a big play. You have to be able to surround them and not let them get the chunk yards.
0: William Inch talked about during his press conference that what they're really going to be focusing on is that first attack wrapping up and waiting for the rally from the guys around, like kind of what you're talking about. And he said that they're willing to give up a few extra yards on a sure tackle than um, the possibility of a big play or a missed tackle and what you're talking about. Do you think that's the route like that's the best route to go when it comes to wrap up, give up a few extra yards on something like that.
3: Yeah, I agree with that because what you've seen throughout the season is a lot of people when they get mad at EJ, he's coming in, like he's he's off, he's, he's from coming from far away, he comes in out of control, he doesn't come with proper leverage, he makes a, a diving attempt at a, at a hero tackle, doesn't work, and then the dude's down the field. That happened against Utah. It happened yeah. against Oregon. It happened against Wazoo. So it happens. And I understand that Um what we need to do is just, you know, Morell and these guys can do a, a much better job of saying, hey, we're not going to press, but maybe we're going to play you five or seven yards off instead of 10, because that ball is going to come out quick. As soon as I see somebody who's 10 yards off me and the receiver, we know it's automatic hitch.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Now, you're backpedaling off the snap. The ball gets out quick. You're now 13 yards away from the receiver and you have to run up and play proper leverage. And you're trying to stop them from getting, you know, six, seven, eight yards. And what happens is you miss and then they're down the sideline because you were the boundary, you know, protection, you were supposed to have outside containment and push this guy back in. And that leads to big plays. So if we're near the ball and we're rallying to the ball, I mean, we'll be okay.
0: So getting down to it then, Coach, how do you see this game going on Friday?
3: I'm not going to Vegas to watch a loss. Let's go, dude. I am not going to Las Vegas to watch them lose to Oregon because that's something we just don't do anymore. We don't lose to Oregon. And they're they're cocky, and they've been rolling a lot of people lately. But let's be real. As hyped up as as the media is for them, they didn't have a great game against USC. USC's terrible defense let them hang around in it. And they, it wasn't well, what, they beat them by nine at home? Yeah. wasn't that terribly impressive. Yeah, they, they handled Oregon State because we beat the crap out of them the week before.
0: And Oregon State knew they were about to lose their coach. Yeah.
3: But, yeah, they, they learned like that week that, oh, hey, uh, John Smith might be going to Michigan State. Okay. So again, another thing that goes right for them, but you know It's not going to go right for them in Vegas because we're getting healthier. They're finally experiencing some injury stuff in the back end. And I I don't care what they say. If they're struggling on the back end and they're not healthy back there, they're terrified of this game. This is Michael Penix. This is Roma Dunze. This is Jalen Polk. This is, healthier Jalen McMillan because they didn't really see him that much in the first game. This is Jeremy Bernard. This is uh, you know, they're going to sell out at times to get to Mike because they know that they have no recourse. Otherwise, what's your score? Score. Yeah, man. I've been thinking about this all day in a return to glory. The offense is going to walk into Allegiant stadium and find themselves again with a newfound rhythm and confidence. Oregon is going to struggle mightily in the back end. It's going to be a closer game, but Washington is going to win 38 to 28.
4: Okay. I think you silenced Trevor. Um, So I read um, a tweet that what came out on Tuesday to yesterday. And it's from at Todd Furman. And it says UW football is 22-0 under Kalen DeBoer when allowing fewer, fewer than 40 points. I do think that we're going to allow fewer than thirty than 40 points. And I also think it's going to be a closer game than it was in Seattle to the tune of 35-34 Washington. I think that, gosh, I mean, I, I'm skipping this game as a favor to all of y'all on the podcast, as a favor to Jason. Shout out Jason. Cap hooligan, all of you, I have to take a final exam on Friday. And yes, I know that's complete bullcrap. And believe me, I've tried to get out of it or take it early and I cannot. And so all of my texting is silenced and I will find out when I allow my text when I walk out of that test. But um, I have to believe that me not watching and lowering the stress level just slightly We'll do magical things for the dogs. 13-0 and 0 would be absolutely delicious. And, you know, Michael Penn extending his career at Washington, going 3-0 and 0 against Oregon would be just, you know, cherry pie Sunday. Delicious. I love it.
3: Oh yeah.
0: Something that, Coach, you've said, and it's it's obvious for a while, is Oregon has not been punched in the mouth since Seattle. Um, um, Washington has been tested in every way that you can. And that's the conversation that was happening before the Oregon game. Washington hadn't played a complete game yet. Washington hadn't had to play four quarters. Washington has had to play in the fourth quarter of every game since. Mm-hmm. Some of it's been dictated by the weather. Some of it's been dictated by illness. Some of it's been dictated by injury. Some of it's been dictated sure. by execution and coaching. The reality is Washington has won in, in so many ways. And Roma Dune's put it best when asked if there's any other way they can win. And he said, oh yeah, with ex- supreme confidence. I see Washington going in and punching Oregon in the mouth and seeing how they respond. Because for the last two times, Washington has gone in and punched Oregon in the mouth and they did not respond. Therefore, I think that Washington is going to do it for a third time. I think they're going to go to the college football playoff. I think Michael Penix is going to walk out reminding the nation who he is. I think the receivers are going to silence the crowd uh, about who the top receiving core is in the nation. I think the defense is going to, I think the defense is going to show that they're not one-dimensional. And I think that the way that Dylan Johnson runs the ball is going to also show the world that this team is not one-dimensional because you still hear that. Um, I think Washington, I really like your score, but I can't go, can't do that. I can't st- steal your score. So I'm going to go uh 37, 30 Washington. I Love like it.
3: to change the score to 56 to nothing Washington.
0: Oh, I like that one too. Can we do that?
3: Hey, if uh, I'll tell you what, interesting, obviously the most important thing by a million is winning, but it would just be so fitting if Washington came out really fast and just blitz them all over the field, you know, touchdowns all over the place. And then when you look at the end of the game and Mike has 400 yards and six touchdowns or seven touchdowns, well, this is a 13-0 team. The quarterback's got like 40 touchdowns and over 4,000 yards. kind of think he's the Heisman now. Sorry, sorry, uh, you know, LSU. Sorry, Bo. Um, You know, I just think that after everything this team's been through, another, just stamp another Heisman moment yeah. on Michael, Michael's resume. So to be 13-0, to be the Pac-12 champs, to know that you're going to possibly play in Pasadena on New Year's Day. Huh. off. I know I'm getting excited. And then to watch Michael Penix be the first Husky to be on ESPN during the Heisman ceremony. I'll tell you what, I'll be more nervous that night than I am in Vegas on Friday. I'm, I'm telling oh, you. Yeah, I'll have more anticipation and butterflies for for seeing Mike hopefully have a huge game and then possibly be rewarded in New York City because that man, that young guy has meant everything to this program for the last two years. And I still remember arguing with people when he first came, it's like, well, he's damaged goods. You know, he's probably not going to let's just hope we get six games out of him before somebody else can step up. And I'm like, y'all are nuts. He is going to be really good. Did I know he was going to be a Heisman candidate? No, of course not. But I remember Michael Penix in Indiana. Yeah. I remember the gunslinger, the the dual threat guy. And, you know, even after the spring game, like, I don't know. I'm like, I see the, rota- I see the the rotation on the ball. I see his release. Um, the spring game is always kind of a, a weird thing because the defenses are always going to be ahead of the offenses. Um, I just, I saw something special and I'm like, you know, a little prayer, like, please let this guy stay healthy. Cause I think he's going to be really good. And now we're looking at it as, you know, we're having these conversations about is he on the Mount, you know, where is he on the Mount Rushmore of Husky quarterbacks? And he's been here two years. I mean, you're thinking guys like Tui mm-hmm. and Warren moon and you know, Jake Locker for, you know, different reasons, just because of the toughness and the and the overall athleticism and the fact that he was the guy that stayed home in that that big class with like Taylor Mays and Schilling and 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 um well I'm not gonna say his name anymore. I will Jonathan Stewart, even though I'm still working. <clears throat> yeah. And so, you know, there's just so many of these greats and he's up there. So I'm just gonna put my 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 i'm going to pound the table right now. He's going to throw for six or seven touchdowns in that game, hopefully. He's going to have a big ga- game and then we're going to see some magic at the Heisman ceremony and we're going to watch his mom cry and we're going to see him get up there in front of the podium overcome with emotion and all of Husky Nation is going to celebrate our first Heisman and a chance to win a national championship right now this year. Go dogs. Go dogs.
4: The O stands for Noble Etnikov finalists, no natties, and no wins against Penix.
0: Go dogs! Woo! Husky Nation, it's the end of the third quarter. Are you looking for the perfect tequila for your next get-together? The answer is born from a hero. Hero de Leon, direct from the prestigious Murguia family just outside Guadalajara, honoring their great-grandfather who saved Mexico from a horrible civil war. It's authentic, courageous, with great integrity, just like the general. Enjoy the smoothest Blanco tequila you've ever tasted, or the rich flavor of our Reposado, aged for seven months in American bourbon barrels. Or the ultimate tequila, our Añejo, which is aged for 18 months in the same bourbon oak barrels. Go to your favorite liquor retailer or restaurant and ask for Hero de Leon, because it's always the end of the third quarter. Imported by Zombie Beverages, Mercer Island, Washington.